Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. We're going to look at a couple uh, passages, but I want to have you go to Luke chapter 5. Uh, Luke chapter 5, because today I'm going to put on my heart something that I shared a little bit with our group from Connection, our Young Adults Ministry. Uh, I'll just say as a quick plug, our uh, Young Adults Ministry meets every Sunday night at 6.30, and tonight is our first Sunday where it's open for our new graduates that are seniors graduating high school. So if you're a graduate, uh, come on. I, know, I think I've met most of you guys, but uh, make sure to come tonight. Uh, we're going to have a special night tonight, and uh, I'm excited about that. And if you know a senior, do whatever it takes to get them there. Uh, it's such a critical time in our lives uh, as we grow up and to see God move. So I want to encourage you to get them to connection, get yourself to connection, whatever it takes. Um, as you're turning to Luke 5, I wanted to actually open with uh, a verse that Jesus defined something for us. He defined, you know, if I were to ask you what eternal life uh, meant, what it is, a lot of us would say, you know, it means living forever. We would say maybe it means going to heaven when you die. Uh, and all of that is absolutely true. That's, that's a big part of eternal life. But when Jesus himself defined it, uh, he gave us what it means to uh, really experience eternal life. And it's in John 17, 3. And I want to ask the team to put it on the screen since I had to turn to Luke 5. But I just want you to see this. Jesus himself defines eternal life. And this is what he says. This is eternal life that they may know you. He's speaking of God the Father. He says that they may know you, God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So Jesus himself defines eternal life as this, knowing God and knowing Christ. And, you know, I feel like of all the things that I have spoken on and taught on, uh, this would probably be the simplest. Uh, Pastor Shelley told you to take notes. These are going to be the simplest notes you've probably ever written down if you take notes today. Uh, so it, I, I don't feel like this is super deep, but I feel like this is foundational, not just for those that don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with God, but also, uh, and especially if you do, because a lot of times I feel like we go after different things in our experience with God. We want to learn many things, but we miss something oftentimes that to me is foundational and fundamental. Uh, there's never a point where we outgrow, I think, the foundation. Uh, Jesus himself being the foundation, the Bible says. So I want you to see this. You know, Paul went to the Corinthian church and he says something. He says, I desire to know nothing among you except two things, Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, of all the things that Paul experienced, he went to heaven, uh, he saw miracles, the dead raised, he saw all this stuff, but he says, the, the heart of what I wanted to tell you, speaking to the Corinthian church, was not about all that other stuff, except as it was connected to who Jesus is. And I want to highlight four simple things tonight, uh, today, I usually speak at night, so tonight, I might say tonight a couple times, sorry. sorry. Uh, number one, and this is, again, I'm going to give you some very simple points today, but I want us to actually track the life of somebody uh, who is a follower of Christ, who is a disciple of Jesus, and to see how God worked in and through him, but really set the pattern for us of what it means to really know Jesus for ourselves, to really know him. See, here's the tragedy. I find that many times we, we can even come to church, we can read our Bibles, we can, we can even do ministry and f somehow make a disconnect in our relationship with Jesus himself. We can be so busy about the stuff where we can, we, can, we can search the scriptures and miss Jesus. If we've done all of that stuff, but we've missed Christ, we've missed the point. Jesus actually said that to the Pharisees who had the Old Testament memorized. Like to be a top-tier Pharisee, to be a rabbi, to be somebody who was the religious elite of their day, they had to start at age six with the book of Leviticus and memorize the Bible all the way through the Old Testament. These guys knew the Old Testament better than any of us probably ever will, and yet they missed Jesus when he was right in front of them. 
I can, I can memorize. That's to me is fascinating that I can do the right stuff. I can even pray for the sake of praying. I can do with the, I can sing the song. You're the God of miracles. I can do all of that and still not know Jesus for myself. The first point is very simple. Follow Jesus. <laughs> I told you there's going to be real simple today. I don't think there's anything that's going to be new for you, but I, I think to me, this is foundational because, you know, I've been in ministry 15 years and I still need to remember this is the most important thing. I followed Christ for most of that. You know, I've, I've, I've been probably following Jesus for just over 15 years. So I was pretty much like day one. I, get, I, I give my life to Jesus. I get baptized in the Holy Spirit May 23rd, 2004. And right after that, God threw me into ministry. But I got to experience many things, but nothing is more important of all the things I've experienced than knowing and following Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. That tells me that I can actually be serving and not following. Are you with me? Okay, so this will be a fun sermon, I promise, but maybe not. All right, number one is follow Jesus. I want you to go to Luke 5, and we'll start in verse 8, uh, kind of in the middle of the story. In this story, just to set this up, Jesus has, has started, he stepped into Peter's, Simon Peter, he goes by the name Simon, it's his given name, he'll later be called Peter by Jesus, but Simon Peter is a fisherman, he's a business owner, he's taking care of what's probably his family business, and while he's there, Jesus shows up and steps into his boat and uses his boat as a platform to teach from. So Peter's business in one moment with Jesus became a platform for Jesus to, to, to touch other people. And so Jesus starts speaking, teaching the crowd, and after the end of that, he tells Peter, I want you to go out and, and catch some fish. They had tried catching and were ineffective, didn't catch anything, but Jesus said, hey, go and do this, launch onto the deep. They did it, and because of they respond, because they responded to what Jesus said, they experienced the result of his promise. And I want you to see what happens. Peter responds, verse 8, Simon Peter saw this, this miracle of fish. Uh, they brought in so many fish they didn't even have room for. He falls down at Jesus' knees and says, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all that were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in, verse 10. So also were James and John, these are uh, brothers, they, John being the, the writer of the Gospel of John and a few other books in the New Testament. It says, these were with partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you're going to catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, here's what I want you to see, they forsook all and followed him. What is it about Jesus that in a probably the span of just a couple hours with him, they've, they've heard him teach, they've seen him work, and now in just a simple invitation at just one statement, you're going to be fishers of men, these guys are willing to not only leave their families behind, their businesses behind, their boats behind, they're willing to forsake all to follow Jesus. I've got a couple words I want us to look at. I like word studies. If you could put those on the screen. The first one, uh, I want you to see this, is what it, the, the word for forsake all. It literally means to divorce, to send away, to abandon all mutual claims, to no longer discuss, and to give up. You know, I feel like this is simple today, but I feel like if we get this, it will solve a lot of our issues. <laughs> One of the things that's a part of my responsibility as a pastor over the years has been pastoral counseling. Now, I'm not the best counselor. I can be a okay listener. I can give counsel, you know, from things that God's, I've experienced, but the best thing I can share, people, share with people is what God's word says because God's word isn't subjective. It's not subject to my opinion. But a lot of times I've found that really when it comes down to the heart issues, we may want somebody to talk to for a few hours, but we really don't want to respond to what he says to do. 
if we can get this, this peace, it takes care of most issues. I think it takes care of most church issues, most conflicts, most relationship issues. It takes care of a lot of our marriage issues. If we're willing to do the simplest thing, which is number one, follow Jesus in everything, they forsook all. Like, this was not something where they were keeping the bridge open so they could go back. Like, there was no returning back. They decided that they were going to lay everything down to follow Jesus. They forsook all. They, that was the, the picture here is the separation to literally abandon all claims to it to everything that they had. You know, sometimes that, obviously, that is our sin before Christ, our, uh, the things that have separated us from God. But listen, sometimes it's good things. Paul said, there's good stuff that have been a part of my life. I, I can boast about a lot of stuff, but I'm willing to forsake all of that just to know him. Paul says, I count it as rubbish, trash, garbage, dung, Everything that I think is even a credential. He says, I count all of that as lost that I may know him and be found in him. I want you to see this. The word follow is this. And this is, I think, the next piece. Because sometimes when I think we've kind of cheapened in our culture the word follow because, you know, we can follow people on Instagram. We can follow people on Twitter. Nobody else is on Twitter besides me. Uh, me and the president. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's it. I've never seen anybody else on there. Um, and to follow, we've kind of reduced it down to something that is, it doesn't have a lot of meaning. Like, I'm just, I'm kind of conscious of what you're doing. That's what it means to follow, to be aware of, to keep tabs of, to, you know, we, we have family members that follow us on Facebook so they can see our kids' pictures because they're out of state. I love that. I love that they can follow that. But, but the word follow in Scripture is not just to be mindful of or to be conscious of. It literally means to be united on the same road. So Jesus is on a certain road, and I am to follow that road. I'm to be on the same road as Jesus. And any time I divert from that, if I detour from that, or I go back on the road, then I need to get back to following. I need to get back to the place where as a disciple, that's what it means to be a disciple. See, as the church, we've sometimes made the mistake of just looking for decisions for Christ and not making followers. And, 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 as, and I, I believe in, you know, I'm so thankful for the moment that I prayed the sinner's prayer and responded to that. And a lot of what I've had to learn in being a follower wasn't just something I learned in a day, but every day learning to follow him is important. That's, that's the heart of our relationship with Jesus. First um, John, John goes on to say this to me is somewhat challenging, really challenging, but I want you to see this. First uh, John 2, verse 4, because here's the thing. We can follow at a certain level and miss, we, we can do the stuff and forget that we actually are supposed to follow Christ. Now, what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? I, I mean, I know that sounds simple. Like, you know, I could, I, could, I could do a survey and say, what does it mean to follow Christ? And we could list 100 different things. But it means to let him direct us on his road. Like, he's the one that sets the direction. It means to do what he does. The reason we, we pray for the sick isn't just because it's a nice thing to do or because we're spirit-filled and that's important, but it's because that's what Jesus did. Are you with me? Well, my church didn't do that, you know, where I grew up in, or my, we don't believe in that stuff, or we don't, and we have all these religious opinions, but the question is, what did Jesus do? And if he did it, I want to do it. Thank you, three of you. Okay, good. So, so, if Jesus himself said that, he says, the works I do, you will do also greater works because I go to the Father. So Jesus invited us into a life of following him, doing what he does. 
Okay, so I want you to see this. He, he goes on because sometimes when we accept religion, and I, I usually use religion in the negative sense. There's a positive sense, of course, in it, but in a negative sense of having some, a form of godliness but missing him in the midst of it. It says this, he who says, I know him and doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected or matured in him. So maturity is letting the love of Christ transform us, mature us. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought to, listen to this piece, this is what it means to follow him, walk as he himself walked. So regardless of what my culture defines it, regardless of what I see, even, because so many times it's people that we've experienced, sometimes even leaders, you know, different people that, family members, parents, all these different people that, that, that we look at them and go, well, I can't see God because I don't see God in them and the way they treat me and I can't go to church because I've been hurt by Christians and we have all this stuff, but we miss the fact that following Jesus is not about following his followers, it's about following him. Because people are imperfect, but Jesus is perfect. People mess it up. I mean, listen, <laughs> I feel like I, I have to apologize more as a dad than I, I you know, do teach. Because I want my kids to learn. I want them to see Jesus in me. Are you with me? I want them to see God in, in, in my life. I want them to learn that. Because I can say, do what I say, but they're not going to do what I say. They're going to do what I do. Okay. Uh, I heard about this recently. Now, I'm from the desert. I'm a desert boy. I'm from Arizona. And in the desert, we don't have this profession. You probably are familiar with it out here. But I learned something recently that I, I thought this was a cool job. This job pays, on average, $400,000 a year. I didn't even know this was a career option. But this job is something called a harbor pilot. And a harbor pilot is very valuable because they, they are the ones that when ships come into a major port, especially a port that has kind of difficult waters to navigate, maybe because it's shallow in certain places as most bays and waters are. So the harbor pilot's job is to pull his boat alongside the ship. Let's say a big tanker's coming into a major port. They've got to pull alongside this tanker, climb up the ladder, and enter the, the bridge of that ship. And the captain of the ship has to surrender leadership to the harbor pilot so the harbor pilot can direct the ship where it needs to go. Because the harbor pilot has spent his entire career learning those waters. The, pilot, the captain who's come into there, he doesn't know that area. He doesn't know, he doesn't know the, the dangerous places. He doesn't know the open waters. He doesn't know where he should go and, and how he should navigate. So he has to rely upon the harbor pilot to come in and give directions to, to the person at the controls. To tell them where to steer and where to go. And listen, if they don't listen to, the, in fact, this job is so important that in some ports, they won't even go into the port without one of them. Because you don't, listen, you got a big cargo, you got a big ship, you don't want to wreck it, you don't want to mess something up, you don't want to waste your, you know, everything you've got. Because, no. So it's important to listen to the expert. And when we're followers of Jesus, he's the harbor pilot who knows the places that are shallow. He knows the places that are dangerous. He, what he says to his commandments, we use that word and we're like, we, we shrink back from it, but his commandments are always good. Are you with me? It, it's to help us navigate the waters so we don't wreck, so we experience all that God has for us. Number two, as we look on with Peter, who forsook everything, is we need to know Jesus. I told you, these are super simple points, but I, I think it's sometimes these super simple stuff that we miss because knowing Jesus. Now listen, uh, in Arizona, we have something, uh, the Grand Canyon is 
one of the major wonders of the world, and it's, it's beautiful. And you can, you know, watch a YouTube video about the Grand Canyon. You can read about it. You can l- learn about it in school. You can see pictures. You ever take pictures of something that's just incredible, and you go, this just does not do it justice? <laughs> like, if, you're, if your photography skills are as poor as mine, like, it just doesn't do it justice. And there's something different about experiencing it for yourself. I can know about something, but to really know it by experience, I have to be there. Anybody, I'm not going to ask for hands, but anybody who's ever tried online dating knows this is important. Because somebody can tell you what you, they want you to know on their profile. And you can know about them. Oh, wow, they like long walks on the beach. They're a doctor. They're a lawyer. They've, you know, they're an expert. They're, the, they're so good looking. I mean, it, it's weird. They look like the, you know, a model. And then you meet them for yourself. Sounds like a couple of you have done that. Okay. There's a difference in knowledge between just information being passed and personally experiencing. And Jesus goes on with Peter and the disciples. I want you to see this. Matthew 16. If you have your Bibles, turn there. Matthew 16, verse 13. Jesus uh, comes into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asks his disciples, and he said, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Some say, as their response, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he, he asked them the important question. And it's a question all of us need to answer. Because it doesn't matter if you have friends that are followers of Jesus. It doesn't matter if you have family members that are followers of Jesus. The question is, who is he in your life? I haven't seen him for a while, but you know, we had the t-shirts, Jesus is my homeboy, you know? And, and it's like, sometimes we have that mindset, like, I like Jesus. Most of the world likes Jesus, they just don't want to follow. It's, it's about, okay, so I want you to see this. So yes, he, he says, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, in a moment of, you know, this guy, he, he steps up to the plate and hits a home run. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who's in heaven. I want you to see that. He says, you didn't get this because somebody told you. My father revealed it. Do you know God the Father, this, this, I, I never knew this, outside of, and I don't know, there might be one or two statements of Revelation, I can't recall, but there's only two things the Father ever said in the Gospels. Two things. And both of them were about Jesus. He says, this, he says you're my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. It was directly from the Father to Son. The other one was to Peter and James and John when they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, this is my Son. Listen to him. The only two things the Father said were to point to Jesus. You know what the Holy Spirit does? I love the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he does? He points to Jesus. All of our gifts, all of our stuff that God gives us, every, everything God's poured in our life is meant to point to Jesus. And uh, Simon, you didn't get this from a book. I'm, I, I love Bible school. I love training. I love theology. I read systematic theology for fun. I don't know why. But, but here's the thing. You can't get revelation from a classroom or a book. You get it from the throne room. You get it from personal encounter with God. There's something about meeting with God where he shows you something about himself that you can't get from somebody else's experience, somebody else's information. You've got to experience God for yourself. Simon, you didn't get this from somebody else. You got it directly from God. 
And I want you to see what Revelation does, because Revelation is very simple. Revelation is when God reveals something that's already there. Jesus didn't become the Son of God at that point. He already was the Son of God. They just had to see it. And whenever God reveals something to us from his word, as we're studying the word, as we're pouring over the word, as we're walking with God and praying and worshiping, as we're spending time with God, something happens. He gives us revelation. But revelation is always an unveiling of something that was there. We just didn't see it. When we discover that he's our healer, it's not as if in that moment he becomes the healer. It's that he always was, and he's inviting us to experience him. The reason why I share scriptures every time I do the offering, I can't remember the dedication to save my life, but I'll give you the word. (laughs) It's because faith comes by what? Hearing God's word. And as we remember what God said in his word, it stirs faith. I want you to know he's your provider in everything. When you get that revelation, it doesn't matter what you don't have right now. You know he's your source. We so many times need more than anything else. You know, I pray many times for God to, you know, provide or do something in an area of my life. And God's answer before the, the miracle or whatever the, the, the actual thing happens, God gives me a promise or he gives me a word. He's, what he's, what's he trying to do? He's trying to give a revelation. I'm like, God, I don't need a revelation. I just want the thing to happen. But in the process, here's what happens. We can actually see God do something and not connect to him and know him. The Bible says Israel knew the acts of God, but Moses knew the ways of God. Israel could see the Red Sea part, manna provided from heaven, see the fire on the mountain Sinai, and completely miss God when he invites them into relationship. The Bible says that they told Moses, you go talk to God for us and just give us the rules. We don't want to draw close. And that to me is so sad that, that so many times we miss the purpose of the revelation. It's to invite us into an encounter with him, to know God for ourselves. Because God's not after. God can do a miracle. He can answer prayer a thousand times. It's easy for God. That's the easy stuff. But what God really wants is not just to answer our prayers. It's for us to know him. And if we haven't seen the answer yet, it's because he's inviting us to walk with him in the journey. It doesn't mean that he won't do it. It doesn't mean that he won't fulfill his word. He will. But he's inviting you to know him. Uh, But not only does revelation teach us and draw us to know him, it also changes us. Matthew 16, 18, here's what happens to Peter. He says, I say to you, you are Peter. We know this verse, this is a foundational verse for us at this church, it's our name. And he says, on this rock, the rock isn't Peter, the rock is what Peter said. You are the Christ, the son of the living God, and the gates of hell. On this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell, Hades, shall not prevail against it. I love that. And he says, and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what Revelation is? It's a key. A key opens something up. It's an invitation to experience something. That tells me I'm responsible for everything I know about God. Everything I know about God is not so I can go, oh, wow, I know so much about God. You don't even know as much as I do. Are, are you with me? It's not so I get spiritually puffed up. So knowledge puffs up. What does love do? It builds up. It edifies. It uses what God's put in me to change me and to pour into others. And it's the same thing in you. Everything God teaches you is meant to help other people. He says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. So so revelation gives me a key that helps me to permit or deny things in my life. So I want you to see something. Um, So Peter has this moment that's like, Man, Peter got it. Like, he's the VIP, he's the shining star. Y'all teachers, uh, you know you have that one kid in your class that's like proud to raise their hand and answer the question, and everybody else hates them? (laughs) 
Like, that's, that's, you know, how it is. It's like, there's that one person that's like, oh, I know. And they're like, I, you already answered the last one. I need somebody else. And nobody else is paying attention. No. And, 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 and that's, the, that's the thing. Peter steps up to the plate and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter's like, see, guys, I got this. See, something happened when Jesus stepped into Peter's life. Peter's life changed. The Messiah was here. The king was here. And I don't know what was in Peter's heart, but Peter's like, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Like, we're going to overthrow the enemies of Israel. We're going to have a kingdom, and you're going to have a throne, and I'm probably going to be, like, somewhere up there with you. Like, that's a lot of what was on the brain of these disciples. Like, they were thinking about their significance. But then Jesus puts that to death in the next statement. Jesus says at this point, going to verse 21, uh, from that time, Jesus began to show them that his disciples, that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. So he tells them about the, really the heart of what the gospel is. Jesus would die for our sins, be raised to life, and invite us into eternal life. But they don't know the full story yet. He's just giving them the, the, the kind of heart of the matter. Peter responds to him. He takes him aside. I want you to see this, this part of the story. He takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Peter, okay, so like we, we don't have any up here, but in, uh, in music there's a thing called a cajon. And if you have two of those, you have, okay. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Peter's got some, okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll wait for you. Uh, Peter has some, uh, I'll say gusto. Like Peter has, has something that is in him that's like, what do you, like how much arrogance do you got to have to pull Jesus aside and go, <laughs> Jesus, I know that you're saying this, but you really got to stop that. Because you're kind of discouraging the guys. Like, they don't want to hear about you dying. In fact, that's not in our plan. How many times have we had a plan, and in following Jesus, he's got another plan? And in following him, we're like, "Um, (laughs) Jesus, let me help you. We're not going that way. Because I'm supposed to have a throne next to you, and I'm supposed to have this, and importance, and a title, and all of these things. And Jesus responds to Peter with, I mean, it's not like you don't know this, but let's let's put that back up, verse 23. Uh, He says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Like, you're not going to die. Verse 23, but he turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me, Satan, accuser. You are an offense to me, for you are not, this is like the same conversation, guys. (laughs) You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yeah, you know. Okay, I'm, uh, by the way, guys, I'm going to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Um, Jesus, let me help you out. That doesn't work for my plan. And uh, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're events to me. Like, how do you go from here to here that quick? But that's, that's true. And here's why it's true. Because we do the same thing that Peter does, and this is what it is. He says, for you are not mindful of the things of God, of me. He says, you're mindful of the things of men. The King James has a weird way of saying it. It says, you savorest the things of men and not the, you don't savor the things of God. Uh, that word also means, uh, let me give you a definition. Can you put that on the screen as well for them? It means to entertain, to have an opinion. We, we live in a culture where we have people who are literally paid, all, all they do is give opinions on TV. Like, that's their entire job. Like, they, they may not be an expert in anything, but they have an opinion. And, you know, I, I have had many conversations with God about my opinions, and he's not interested in a lot of them. 
Because at some point, that's why it's important for us as preachers to not just give opinions, but God's word. Because my opinion can be flaky. I can misjudge things. I can look at something and misjudge somebody's heart. The Bible says don't judge anything before the time. But here's the thing about an opinion. Whenever it comes into conflict with God's purpose, God's will, keep that up, God's direction, I have to put that thing to death. Okay, put, put that definition back up. It means to set affection on. See, I may not, you know, I don't think at that moment Peter was like worshiping devils. I don't, I don't think Peter at that moment like started playing with a Ouija board and started doing all kinds of goofy stuff and opening his life up to all, the, all kinds of demonic things. He wasn't doing any of that stuff. Like this is Peter who just a moment before said the truth, you are the son of the living God. But in this moment, something shifted in Peter. Peter stopped having the same affection as Jesus. He stopped having the same mind as Christ. He stopped having the same opinion as Jesus and he actually got in a different mind than in Jesus. So he set his mind on the things of men. And to me, that's fascinating because all I have to do to be in league with Satan, he called him Satan, is not for me to just go and, you know, do satanic stuff. You know, the Bible says earthly wisdom is actually sensual and demonic. The moment I depend on man's ways instead of God's ways, the moment I let my mind be preoccupied by what the world says, what people say, it may be good stuff. But so many times we accept good and we miss what God's truth is. He says, you're mindful of the things of men, not the things of God. I, I learned this a long time ago. My agenda, our agendas will always get in the way of our assignment. So, so God has an assignment for each one of us, but the moment we let our agenda get in the way and we're like, well, here's what I want to do. And we're like, Peter, you know, I've got a plan, God. Here's, my, here's what I'm he- going to do. Here's, here's, here's what I'm going to be like. Here's what relationships I'm going to have. Here's where I'm going to live. Here's all these different things. And we, we tell God instead of follow Jesus. In that moment, Peter went from being a follower to the one calling the shots. Are, are you with me? Peter went from being a follower to in that moment trying to tell Jesus, no, this is what we're going to do. I know you're all too spiritual to have ever done that. (laughs) But I want to just remind us today how important it is. And Jesus goes on and gives them the key, I think, to, uh, and let me, well, yeah, let's keep going. Verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, so this isn't just about Peter. He says, guys, listen, if anyone desires to come after me, anyone. Any, any believer, any Christian in the room, any, any follower of Christ, as if anybody wants to be a follower, here's what we have to do. Let him deny himself. Now, I, I used to, you know, kind of struggle with what that means, you know, but when I think of, when the Bible talks about denying, Peter would go on to deny Jesus, right? And what did he say when he denied Christ? Jesus is going to the cross, he's being tried, he's being beaten, he's being whipped, he's being about to have nails driven in his hands and feet, and Peter, to a little girl, curses at her and says, I don't even know the man. That's what it means to deny. And we're not just to deny the devil, because that's easy as a Christian. Like, we should all deny the devil. But the hard part, and this is the part that I think gets in the way of, I'll say, all of our relationships, if we let it, all of our marriages, all of our parent-to-child issues, all of our, all of our church issues, <laughs> whatever it is, because we're people, is this very thing. Let him deny himself. When we deny ourselves, we're just like Peter saying, I don't even know the man. I don't even know who that is. 
See, the Bible says, I've been crucified, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like, this is, this is the starting point. But so many times we move past that and we try to do things our way and we try to figure things out on our own and we're trying to do, and we, we're resurrecting our old life instead of putting it to the cross. We get offended. Do you know, I don't know, I don't know how a dead person can be offended. I don't know how a dead person can be tempted. The reason why we're offended is because there's something we're not letting die. This is going to be fun, I promise. But if we're honest with ourselves, like this is what it means to be a follower. I mean, I, I genuinely, my wife and I have people that, you know, we've, we've seen God move in their lives powerfully. Miracles. I mean, stuff that it's like, it blows your mind. And yet, some of them aren't even following God today. And in some of their cases, we'll talk to them and they're, they're offended. They're offended to people. They're offended to God. Well, God didn't do this the way I wanted. God didn't do that. God didn't. And we think about that, and that's so sad because what happens when we allow those things is because we haven't realized the, the, the starting point. Yes, God wants to bless me. Yes, God wants to provide. Yes, God's going to do all these things. He wants to use me. He wants to use you. He wants to do all these things. But the starting point is this. If anyone follows me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Something has to die. See, the reason why we don't need to be offended or why those things can't affect us is because we've been willing to say yes to Jesus and die. And if we've died, it doesn't matter what people say about us. It doesn't matter what people have done to us. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter if they sat in our seat at church, if they took our parking spot. You know, I know you're all spiritual. Nobody ever does that here. Uh, but like whatever it is, are you with me? We get, a, we get so offended and we get so hurt and we get so, we're in competition with our coworkers and we're, we're jealous of people and we have all this stuff because we haven't been willing to die. I believe in all the promises and all the stuff, but, but listen, I can get the promise and miss him. I can get the promise and get offended at God. John the Baptist experienced so much, but John the Baptist is in prison and he says, Jesus, are you the coming one or should we look for somebody else? This is John. This is the guy, his cousin. Like, this is John the Baptist who, when everybody was coming to him and the nation was coming, he says, This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But the moment John had disappointment and he's in prison and he's starting to wonder about God, like, God, I thought you were going to show up in this, this area by now. Jesus says, Well, what, what, what do you see me do, John? I'm opening blind eyes, I'm healing the sick, I'm cleansing lepers, I'm raising the dead, I'm doing what the Messiah is going to do. And blessed is he who's not offended in me. It's easy to get offended at God even. Not just people, but God, when we allow something to stay alive that should be dead. All right. <laughs> you know, this to me is what, can I just, I don't know, this might hurt somebody's feelings. Um, but here's the thing. So I've found, and I don't know the statistics of this. I'm sure most of the pastors in the room or people who have been in ministry for a while can experience this. I think the biggest conflict in most churches in our day today is over worship. 
Like, I, I just, like, I, I took a church six years ago, and, like, the day one, my worship team wanted to quit because people were, like, sabotaging them. <laughs> like, all kinds of craziness was going on. I'm like, I, I just don't understand this. I've learned this, and most people I've talked to, like, there's a battle over worship, and I know why there's a battle over worship. I know why there's a battle over worship from the spiritual standpoint, because the devil hates when your worship goes to the one who deserves it. Are, are you with me? Worship disarms the enemy. Worship shakes prison doors open. That's what worship does. But when we say things like, I just didn't like worship today. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but it wasn't for you. It's okay. Pastor Ted's going to be back next week. You don't have to hear from me for a while. Okay. If you don't like me. But, but it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for us. It's for him. If they sing a song I don't like, it's not for me. It's for him. If they sing Good, Good Father 15 times, it's not for me. <laughs> are, are you with me? Because I came for him. We come for him. And when we can get that, okay. Number, I'm going to go through the last two points very quick. And number three is this, return to Jesus. I'm not going to read the scripture, but you can look yourself, Luke 22, return to Jesus. Peter doesn't always deny himself. In fact, he does deny Jesus. But I want you to see this because when we mess up, listen, so many people run from God in that moment rather than run to him. Return to Jesus. No matter where you're at. Listen, I don't know how long you've been a Christian. You could have been a Christian for 35 years, 50 years. I I don't know. You know, Mary and Joseph, they got one job. Don't lose Jesus. And that's exactly what they did. He's 12 years old, and he's, they, lo- they leave him behind. Like, I don't get it. And they go for a three-day journey. Like, I feel better as a parent when I read about Mary and Joseph, because they left Jesus for three days and didn't know it. <laughs> How many times can we move on our own road and go, oh, Jesus isn't here anymore? Not because he left, but because we took our own road. All we need to do, though, it's very simple, guys, is we return to Jesus. Number fourth and final point is this, be filled with Jesus. Be filled by Jesus. Be filled by Jesus. I want to I tell you the end of Peter's story. Not the end of his life, but the end of his story, because after this moment, everything changes. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told Peter and the disciples, he says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. That means he fills us with the Holy Spirit. And something happened in Peter where he went from being a guy who could deny Jesus before a little girl to being somebody who would boldly tell crowds that would reject God in many cases. He could speak to them and say, Jesus is alive. Repent and believe. They would beat him, persecute him, saying, don't ever teach in this name again. But it didn't stop him because something now possessed Peter. It filled Peter, and it was what Jesus promised is available for every single one of us. It's the thing that takes us from being somebody who, who goes their own road and tries to do things their own way. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, I want you to see what happens. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday is next Sunday, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound of heaven, a mighty rushing wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. One sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other other tongues. Do you know the one that baptized them, though, was not a preacher? It was Jesus. The one that filled them was Jesus. That's what Jesus does. 
Listen, spiritual gifts, tongues, all that stuff, it's not a Pentecostal thing. It's a Jesus thing. The Holy Spirit is not a charismatic thing. It's a Jesus thing. Jesus fills with the Holy Spirit. And I, I want us to do this today. If you would stand to your feet, I'd like us to close in prayer. I'm gonna ask Jessica or the team, whoever can come up here. Um, let me just remind you of those forcible points. Follow Jesus. Know Jesus. Return to Jesus. And I, I didn't get to spend much time on that one, but I just want you to think about where you're at with God. I want you to think about areas of your life that maybe you've just forgotten about him or you've kind of just gone your own way. I mean, it's easy to do. It really is. That's the scary thing. It's actually very easy to do. It's very easy for us to do things our own way. You know, I had one season of ministry where years ago, I remember I was at a ministry event and God was moving and I'm talking to God, I'm praying, I'm interceding for what God's doing. And as I'm talking to God about what he's doing, the Holy Spirit speaks to me. If you weren't doing this stuff, would you have a relationship with me? And I began, it kind of made me self-evaluate. Like, if you take all the stuff I do as a professional pastor, do I know him? It's easy for us to kind of get sidetracked. You know, there's a story I want to tell you. It's, it's, I, I won't go into all the details. There's a guy, he's a Japanese soldier. I think his, his name was, let me pull it up. It's on my phone. This, guy, this guy's story is amazing because his hero Onada was a, an intelligence officer in the Japanese army who was dropped with a team in the Philippines. And while he was in the Philippines, he was given a mission. This is the last months of World War II. He was told by his commanding officer, I want you to fight the enemy and do not leave your post until we come and get you. So, so this man and his team go into the, the jungles in the Philippines and just a few months later, the atomic bombs are dropped in Japan and the war's over. The problem is when you're in the jungle by yourself, you don't get very, there's no iPhones, there's no Facebook, there's no radio communications. They don't know the war is over. And so they spend the next 29 years of their life in the wilderness of the Philippines attacking and fighting and killing. And people were sent by the Japanese government telling them the war's over. Why are you still fighting? But they didn't believe them. They thought there's no way it can be over. <laughs> and so they kept fighting, they kept killing until one after another, these men died. Till this guy was all by himself, all alone. And he's still fighting 29 years later until 1974, and I think it was a young student who decided on a vacation, I'm gonna go find this guy. He's like, you know, kind of become mythical almost. It's like finding Bigfoot, you know. We're gonna find this guy in the jungles of the Philippines, and this guy goes after this, this person, and he finds him. One guy finds him, and he convinces him to surrender, to come back home. This guy fought a war that was long over. He had an identity in himself that was no longer valid. He's, he's a soldier, but the war is over. What do you do when you're fighting a war that's been finished? And it reminds me of how a lot of times we are with God. He's invited us into a new life. He sent his son to die on a cross. 
and said, it's finished. He's provided the means for us to be forgiven of all of our sins. But we still live as if we're at war with God. We still rebel against what God said. We don't come when he invites us to come to him. We're in a prison cell, but the door's already been opened for us to step out. And I want to ask you today, wherever you're at, I want to begin with this. If you don't have a relationship with God, if you don't really know Jesus, it's the most important thing you'll ever do is say yes to Jesus. To put your faith in him. To do what that soldier finally did after 29 years. And you know what that man said at the end of his time? He wept when he realized he had been fighting. And he realized that he had spent 30 years, nearly 30 years of his life, wasted. He wept. He wept over his fellow soldiers who literally died for nothing. And that's what happens when we pursue things that are empty without God. We give ourselves to things that don't matter. There's a way that seems right to a man, but it leads to death. And if you don't have a relationship with God today, Today's your day to say yes to him.